You don't need a calendar to work on self-improvement. Every day is an opportunity to do better and be better. Welcome to this week's IRI's podcast. I'm Mandy Curry. It's weird. Mandy's two E's, Curry's I-E. And I am here as the host of IRI's podcast, and I run Phoenix Counseling in the Palm Beaches. Here at IRI's, we cover everything from the daily mundane bullshit, all the way to the tragic that we hope only happens once, to the taboo and kinky that you do not feel comfortable talking about around the water cooler. Send me your emails at askmandy at irisepodcast.com. We are lucky enough to be recording at Rain Soundworks Recording Studio. I'm glad you're back. I missed you. Today we're talking about New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, the shoulds, and the other associated societal bullshit. Here's the deal. We all know this time of year. You've just survived Christmas, the holidays, and hopefully those annoying relatives, including Aunt Tits and Flopper, the aforementioned annoying aunt with the unsolicited advice, have gone home. You think you get to breathe. And that's great, because New Year's, everybody's all about a big party. But there's that pesky resolution thing. Everyone keeps asking you, so what's your New Year's resolution? You know, when I was growing up, I I grew up Catholic, and it was kind of the same thing around Lent. What'd you give up for Lent? You're like, I I don't don't know. I, I, what? We do the same thing with New Year's resolutions. You know, it's what are you going to give up? What are you going to do better? How are you going to stop fucking up your life? Because that's really what they're asking. Oh, here we go. We're off to a new and better you. Truth is, you don't need boxes on a piece of paper to tell you when you need to be better. Every day is an opportunity to do better in your life and to be a better person. When we talk about these things, it always brings me to the shoulds. The shoulds are those things that either your upbringing or the screwed up ego in your head or just society tells you that you should do. I know I will get a flood of emails telling me how I'm wrong before I even start. So I want to say in advance Thank you, and I will answer you individually. But not everybody wants to get married and have a house with a white picket fence, 2.5 children, and a golden retriever. That's not for everybody. And the truth is, who the hell is trying to keep up with the Joneses? I treat the Joneses. He's cheating, she's a shopaholic, and both children are medicated. Let's not try to be them. The example I always use, and I apologize for their fans, as much as I love Ray... The show Everyone Loves Raymond, that comes to mind when I think of shoulds. These are the sitcoms we watch. And I have to tell you, I'm not a fan of sitcoms. Because for some reason and somehow our society has decided that this is a great depiction of our family. You have the husband and wife, they're married. They have children. Close relationship with his parents, grandma and grandpa around all the time, right? Sounds picture perfect, right? That's the nuclear family. You know what I see when I see that? There's a wife who treats her husband like he's an idiot. 
He acts like an idiot and can't make a simple declarative sentence, let alone a decision, despite the fact that he's head of household. He's constantly begging his wife for sex and she blows him off. And what is with the boundary issues with the grandmother and grandfather? If my mother-in-law and father-in-law were in my kitchen seven times a day with no warning, there would be a mushroom cloud over my house. In addition to the fact that every family function, grandpa starts yelling at the other family members. I don't see a happy family that I would want my clients, my friends, my family, my children to aspire to. If you followed the premise, it would be that children are a pain in the ass that frazzles mom to the point that she treats her husband like he's an idiot. Right off the bat, apparently women don't like sex, and newsflash, they do. Men are the head of household, but only in name because they're idiots and their wives tell them what to do. In-laws get to wander into your house whenever they want, tell you how to run it, and correct you on your parenting, and as long as you're older, it's okay to be verbally abusive. That's what I get from that sitcom. Now, I know, mind-blowing. Some of you are sitting there going, holy crap, I never thought of that. Right, because apparently if you put canned laughter over something, it makes it okay. How many people say, I don't mean to be a dick, but, you know what that means? I'm about to be a dick. Or, they say something really shitty and go, <laughs> just kidding. No, you're not, because I'm upset now and you're laughing. It's like that, you know? You put that canned laughter over and you go, this is a wholesome family. This is how we are. And everyone laughs. God, I hope not. If that really is how every family is, then I completely understand why the divorce rate is as high as it is. So that's the kind of stuff I think of when I think of the shoulds. We just went through a whole season of them, right? I have people act like it's a little adventure, like, hey, instead of making a Christmas ham or a Christmas goose, I made lasagna. If that's the adventure of standing out in society, we have to branch out more. We have these shoulds. Stockings on the fireplace, which I don't know about you guys, but I live in Florida. I don't even have a fireplace or a chimney, which, you know, totally freaked my kids out because how is the fat man going to break and enter and leave him presents? To the New Year's resolutions of I'm going to eat nothing but kale and I'm going to go to the gym seven days a week. We know that the average resolution lasts about 120 days. So those of you who do go to the gym regularly, don't panic. Because by April, you'll be able to get on the machines without a line. And don't worry, fast food joints, because come April, your lines will be wrapped around the building again. When we make resolutions, we talk about what will happen in the future. Okay, this is where assertive language comes in. Instead of saying, starting January 1st, I'm not going to eat fast food anymore. Okay, how many times have you said that in your lifetime? I'd wager a bet it's been more than once. But if instead, regardless of what square you're on, on that paper we call a calendar, you said, I'm not the kind of person who eats fast food. It is present tense. It is something that happens in the moment as opposed to something that happens in the future. You are more likely to stick to it because it is a definitive present tense statement. Instead of filling your day and your mind and your time with the shoulds, I should work out more. I should eat better. For this New Year's, I challenge you to do the opposite. Don't tell me what you're not going to do, what you're going to cut out, what lifestyle change you're going to make. What I'd recommend, put in the things that make you happy. Do I think that solves everything? Hell no. But if you're busy doing the things that make you happy, my guess is you won't sit around idly watching Netflix to avoid going to the gym. 
You won't eat fast food because you will have freed up your day to spend time with family, which means part of which was spent in the kitchen chopping vegetables, bullshitting, and cooking together. Put in what you want to do more of, and if you packed your schedule with that, you don't have to pack it with the obligations. The other issue there is that when we do that, we pack our day with shit we don't want to do. In addition to those shoulds, the stuff that we insert here, doesn't matter what it is, the thing that you hear your mom in the back of your head, or the sitcoms on TV, or you hear it in commercials on the radio, whoever gave you that idea, we fill our head with the things we should be doing. Okay, New Year's resolution, right, 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 okay, I need to eat only X amount of calories per day, and I need to go to the gym this many times, and I'm going to start doing this, and I'm going to go to the soup kitchen every Sunday, I'm going to distribute food to the homeless, I'm going to make sure to take up a hobby, not that I have time for that because I'll always be at the gym, but you know, I guess I could pick up a hobby with the amount of time I'm no longer consuming food ever, because all I eat now is kale and celery anyway. See what I'm doing here? The truth is you try to overhaul your life and become a different person because the clock struck midnight. You're setting yourself up for failure. You know what's worse than that? You then beat yourself up for something that you set up to go wrong in the beginning. You say, I don't have the willpower. I'm just not strong enough. Or you make up excuses that aren't actually true. But the truth is nobody gets by white knuckling it. Don't just hang on for dear life and hope your willpower is going to get you through because I guarantee it will fail. If we all did what we were supposed to do, the gyms would be full 12 months out of the year and fast food wouldn't exist because we know exercise is good and fast food is bad. But we don't. We make all of these things we have to overhaul, completely trying to redo our life based on a box on a piece of paper. That's just not realistic. And for those of you who can make five, ten resolutions and stick to them, God bless and for the love of God, please write a book and or do a podcast like this because I would love to know how so I could help my clients better. And I'm no genius. There are people who are smarter than me and are way above my pay grade that have done a lot of studies on this. I've yet to find a statistic where you can overhaul your life based on the clock striking midnight. I have yet to find somewhere that says, Future speech as opposed to present tense assertive language makes things stick. I have yet to find where you can become another person overnight because you're comparing yourself to someone else. I also would argue, and I pose this to you, you failed on those resolutions how many times? How many years? You know, and we make the joke. We're like, around comes another year where I'm going to put in the same resolutions I failed out the last five years. But that's the thing. When you have a real goal, something you're really excited about, you'll do it. When you have a resolution that every year you don't do, you need to ask yourself, am I doing this for myself at all? Do I really give a shit if I want to lose weight? And the truth is, maybe you really do. Sometimes it's okay to say that you don't, though. I never look at the cover of a women's fitness magazine and go, wow, I want to look like her. I look at that and think, she looks great, but I really like having the occasional donut. It is not worth it to me to be a cranky bitch because I haven't had a carbohydrate in six months to look like that. Because people think if I just lose weight, I look like that underneath. I'm sorry. No, you don't. That person only looked like that because they trained to then be on the cover. We've all heard of that, right? When we see action movies, they do the shirtless scene. Usually, by the way, shot at the beginning of the filming because that's when he looks like that. 
couple months or weeks or months into filming, he didn't look like that anymore. Those shots are done at the beginning, and then God forbid they have to reshoot it, they have to postpone it so that the trainer can come in and work with him so that he can match the shot they did before. People who lose weight don't even look like that. The amount of dedication that it takes to look like that is way more than the average person realizes. You could be the same size as that person and not look like that with your shirt off. I never see that and think, wow, I want to look like that. I look at that and go, wow, way to go. Good dedication to the game, yo. Not me. Not my thing. I want to be healthy. I want to be able to chase my kids around. I like to not be winded on the staircase because it's embarrassing. Does that mean that I want to do what they do? Absolutely not. It's okay to say, I want to be more healthy or I want to exercise. It's also okay to say, but I don't need to lose 50 pounds and I don't care what Aunt Tits and Flopper says. It's okay to say, I'm willing or I'm unwilling. I'm willing to do what it takes to do to meet that task, that goal. But I would just say, and I'd caution you against making your goals what somebody else tells you to do. And again, there are people a lot smarter than me. I'm not running a study here, but I will tell you anecdotally, the people who don't reach their goals are the people whose goals are from someone else. External motivation is not a thing. Well, I should rephrase. It's a thing, but not something that keeps anyone going long term. Whether you're talking about a diet plan, whether you're talking about your career, whether you're talking about sobriety, whether you're talking about learning, scholastics, education, anything like that. When people go to school because their parents make them, when people go into recovery because their family had an intervention and chucked them in there or the court told them they had to, when you lose weight because you're so sick of your mother-in-law saying, have you put on a few pounds and, oh, you look tired. Those are the people who don't reach their goals because they were never their goals in the first place. So my recommendation to you, fuck the goals. Light the stupid-ass list on fire because, God love you, you just got through Christmas and you don't need to write a list of obligations a week later. Instead, write down what you like to do. And every time you think you're going to binge-watch Netflix, you're going to go through a drive through stop and look at that list. Do one of the things on that list instead. Because I'm not telling you to deprive yourself. It's not something I would ever do. But I am all about changing behaviors. So instead of beating the shit out of yourself, because I'm pretty sure, well, I can't speak for everybody, but at least the Catholics, if not the other religions, have gotten rid of that whole self-flagellation thing. We like to sweep that whole Spanish Inquisition thing under the rug, but I'm pretty sure flagellation is not a thing anymore. Therefore, stop beating the shit out of yourself. Stop making up resolutions that self-magazine, no offense, self, I'm sure you're great. It's been like a decade since I've read you. It just popped into my head. Stop using the resolutions that they've given you. Stop using the resolutions of your friends, family, and people that, I've got to be honest, you don't take advice from the other 364 days a year. Why the hell are you listening to them now? Make yourself a list. Tell me what you like to do. Anytime you're going to do one of those shitty things you don't want to do, instead of deprivation, fill it with one of the things from the list. Now, this is where we go back to that priority thing, where if you give me bullshit that's not really a priority, it doesn't work. You say, I'm going to spend more time with my kids, but the idea of spending more time with your kids makes you want to go walk into traffic, then don't put that on your goddamn list. But if you've desperately been trying to finish the same novel for months and you've been stuck on the same chapter because you won't give yourself 10 minutes, do that instead of drive through because you've told yourself, well, I have to eat, but I don't have to take care of myself and relax. Read the damn book. 
I don't care what the show is. Most of mine are either stand-up or cartoons because it's what makes me happy after a day of listening to basically lifetime movie trauma and tragedy all day long. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. I don't care. You like romance novels? Knock yourself out. I mean, Fabio's never been one of my things, but whatever floats your boat. Fill it with the things you actually like, not the bullshit that you think you're supposed to put, because at that point, you may as well write the same shit resolutions. Write down the things you actually want to do, the things you want to spend time doing, and every time you want to do one of those destructive things you would have written a bullshit resolution about, put something from that list that you enjoy in. Now, the key there is if you're going to procrastinate because you don't want to scrub the tub or the toilet, I hear you, I don't either but it's a thing that has to happen. Instead of putting it off by watching TV, instead of smoking a blunt or grabbing a handle when you're trying to remain sober or at least cut back, wherever you are in that journey, fill that with those good things. Even if you're just putting off cleaning the tub. I mean, I don't know about your house, but in my house, if I don't do it, it's not like some fairy comes along and does it for me. Believe me, it will still be there the next day because you know if I don't do it, it's not happening. So instead of putting it off by watching Netflix or doing whatever you shouldn't be doing, all right, well, you clearly need a break. Go read the book. Go do whatever it is you want to do. But stop beating yourself up. Stop making goals based on what somebody else told you they're supposed to be. Because truthfully, there's probably some shit you do want to change. You know, there's some stuff you do want to work on. In my case, I really struggle to relax. Even when I have time to relax, I feel guilty. I feel like I should be doing something else. Suddenly, I feel the need to, like, scrub the grout with a toothbrush. Why? Because I have 30 seconds to myself? My mental health is just as important as the grout. I dare say more important than said grout. But I still struggle with that. So that's one of the skills I need to learn this year. So when I have my downtime... Instead of doing what I like to call puttering, where I pick up objects and move them from one side of the room to the other so I can feel like I'm being productive because I don't want to scrub the tub we talked about, I need to learn to relax. So that's one of the things I'm going to be doing this year. Making a list of things I want to do, and when it's time to relax, actually doing them. If I feel bad about it, I feel the need to beat myself up about it, I'm going to sit down and write about it. Why do I feel that way? Lots of reasons. I could blame mom and dad and lay on a black leather couch and tell you all the reasons why. But the truth is, all it really boils down to is we're in a society where productivity is king. What did you do today? What did you produce today? Somebody says, what did you do today? How many people go, oh my god, I'm just so busy. So, instead of doing that, I'm going to take a seat. All right, why do I feel that way? Let's talk about it. And by talk about it, I mean I write it out most of the time. And I'm going to work on relaxing. My relaxation time has absolutely nothing to do with the gym, has nothing to do with my diet, has to do with teaching my brain that it's okay to relax. Because how else am I going to be able to sit here and talk to you, my dear, about the things that could be helping you? If I don't take care of me, how am I supposed to help you take care of you? It doesn't just make me a hypocrite, it makes me an asshole. I'd be fairly ineffective if I didn't learn to relax, right? So that's my challenge for you for this coming year. I'm sure lots of you, myself included, told myself, hey, 2018, it's going to be the year. And I'm like, yeah, 2019, shit, didn't I say that last year? Damn it, yes, I did. But the difference is 
<laughs> I don't need it to be perfect. And there's some days where I'm still going to move shit around in a circle because I feel like I'm doing something productive. But I'm going to add in the things that I want to do and the things that I love. And I'm going to stop beating myself up for not doing the shit that I didn't want to do anyway. Because if I did, I would have. Because anybody that knows me knows that I will wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and go, I'm going to go do this. And instead of people around me going, oh, really? They go, of course you are. I did that when I had my kids. I did that with every degree I've ever gotten, just like getting my master's in clinical mental health counseling. My significant other woke up in the morning and I said, hey, by the way, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to go to grad school. I'm getting my master's. And that person looked at me and went, of course you are. And not in a sarcastic way. So if I can do that, why the hell am I not getting to the gym? Why? Because I hate the gym. I don't like it. It's a bunch of meatheads. People are sweaty. It smells like socks. Don't like it. But I will go to the dojo and bust my ass several times a week because I love those people and because it's a discipline, not just exercise. And I learn something useful that helps my body and makes me feel more confident because I feel like people can't fuck with me. So I just found exercise is something I do for myself instead of to myself. So I was never going to be able to meet that obligation every year of going to the gym four days a week. Because it's not my goal. I don't fucking want to. The older I get, the less I do shit that I don't want to do. I have a limited amount of time and energy. And if I don't want to, I'm not doing it. I challenge you to adopt the same philosophy this year. We're in it together. Thanks so much for being with me. I really appreciate you. So, this is where we will be handling our questions sent to askmandy at irisepodcast.com. You can do the same, or you can use our web app. If you go to irisepodcast.com and you click on Ask Mandy, again, that's with two E's, that's the link at the top of the page. So, our question of the day comes from Xena Warrior Princess. I already love this person. That's fantastic. Dear Mandy, what do you do when your mother and ex-husband have NPD? For those of you who do not speak mental health, that is narcissistic personality disorder. Amongst various other mental challenges, don't we all? Gray Rock, for those of you who don't know, Gray Rock is where you don't play into people's bullshit and you simply give mm-hmm and dull mundane answers to make them stop speaking. No contact, etc. What are the best coping skills to create healthy boundaries and safety for myself with people I'd like to never see again? Oh, Xena. This is a tough one. Because you're talking about mother and ex-husband. Let's start with mother. Narcissistic personality disorder is actually pretty rare. Lots of people will misclassify people as narcissistic because they're self-centered pricks. Lots of us are self-centered. It does not necessarily make you a narcissist. That said, if you are raised by a narcissist, percentage-wise, because my mind works in statistics, you would have likely married a narcissist, so your percentages are probably higher than the average person. The problem with narcissistic personality disorder is that while you can alleviate some of the symptoms, this cannot be cured. It's just not. So what do you do? 
I often hear that I don't understand. Well, it's, it's my mom. I will tell you the same thing that you have probably heard me say a million times on here. You have no obligation to spend time with someone who is damaging to your spirit. Ever. I don't care who they are. There are biological family members that are bad for you. On the flip side, some of the people that I call family that have been the biggest inspiration in my life share no blood with me at all. So first, let's start with the recommendations that you had said it was Grey Rock, No Contact, etc. Grey Rock is a great one. I love it. I'm all about the mm-hmm, yes, sir, no, ma'am, yep, whatever you think that's interesting responses, because what they're looking for is reaction. The thing is, I don't negotiate with terrorists, and I really don't like to let the bullies win. So I am perfectly happy to smile and nod and internally piss them off, and they can't be mad because you're being reasonable which gives me a little bit of self-satisfaction there, but that's the petty side of me. And when you do that, it gives them nothing to work with. Whether this is your narcissistic mother, or for the love of God, my 10-year-old, she will do stuff like you say, hey, babe, can you go do this? And she goes, meep. That's not a word. I don't know what to do with that. Did you hear me? Meep. It's gotten to the point that I just go, huh, interesting, okay, do it or you're grounded. And she goes, meep, as she runs off to do it. I don't care what language you speak as long as you do what the hell I'm saying. But I don't entertain it. I don't pretend that I understand. I don't discuss it with her. I don't go over use your big girl words because she's fucking 10. I'm not dealing with a three-year-old. Hey, guess what? Your mom's older than 10. Don't entertain it. And I know it's tough because she's your mom, but your second option of no contact I don't care who she is. You don't have an obligation to spend time with her. I know that sounds awful and harsh, and every mom within earshot wants to rail against me, but you know what? I am a mom. And if I treated my kids like shit, I would consider it a success if they had the balls to tell me, hey, mom, you taught me to respect myself, to know my worth, and to respect and protect myself from people who treated me like shit. If you're going to treat me like shit, that means you too. Would it hurt? Absolutely. Would I also want to secretly high-five them and myself for teaching them better than I was taught? Absolutely. I would consider it a success if my kids had the balls to tell me, you won't treat me like shit and I don't care if you grew me. Let's move on to the ex-husband. That's a tough one. My knee-jerk reaction is to say, he's your ex. One of my favorite quotes come from Sweet Home Alabama, and while I am not a romantic comedy kind of girl, after all, my favorite movie is Fight Club, I will say I love that line when he comes home and his ex-wife that he has not seen, well, they're technically still married, but his wife that he had not seen in years had overhauled his house, and he opens the fridge and he goes, what is this? Is this light beer? And she says something along the lines of, you know, it's less calories or whatever. And then she's making him dinner and he asks what she's doing. And she finds like, now what kind of wife would I be if I didn't, you know, if I didn't take care of my husband, I think is what she says. And he looks at her and says, the kind that don't live here. Do you know how many times a day I think that? Whether you're dealing with an ex or I've got a significant other or a ex-spouse or a soon-to-be ex-spouse in front of me and they go, well... I mean, I just, I have to do the following. No, you don't. Well, he said I have to. Well, he's the kind that don't live there. 
So my knee-jerk reaction is, why the hell are you dealing with an ex-husband? Now, I don't know your situation. But most of the time when people ask me how to deal with an ex-husband, it's usually because there's kids involved. Why the hell else would you deal with an ex who was narcissistic? I would say run like the building's on fire, but you haven't? So either that's one, a boundary issue because you still put up with your mom, or two, there's kids involved and you don't have a choice. If there are kids involved, I would say this is one of the most difficult situations that somebody could be in. Before I get a flood of emails, I'm sure there's a billion others, but it's the most difficult I can think of off the top of my head. So everybody just cool your tits. To turn your kids over to somebody that you get to leave and they don't sucks. To say, I know this person is a pain in the ass. This person is so difficult that I had to leave them. But because you share their DNA and not a legal document, you are stuck going there one night a week and every other weekend, half the summer, half the breaks, half the holidays. And there's not a damn thing I can do to protect you from them. Whew. That is a crash course in surrender and letting go if I've ever heard of one. But here's the deal. Your children are independent of you. This is their path with their father. Does it suck? Absolutely. You know, when my ex and I split up, my kids were three and nine months old. Well, four? Almost four. Not quite, but yeah. And it was tough. You know, I remember him calling me from the grocery store and he was like, uh, you always went grocery shopping. I'm at Publix and I've got the girls here and I don't know which baby food I'm supposed to feed her. And on one hand, I totally got why he was calling me because he knew that like, okay, you're supposed to feed vegetables first and not fruits because then they don't like it. You know, the things with less sugar. So there's like an order to shit, you know. But the irritated, sarcastic side of me that just handed over my nine-month-old and my three-year-old to someone who had not been in charge of their general care, including what they were eating, said, do you see all the wall of jars there with the baby on the front that looks like the baby in the cart? Feed her any one of those. Which is a really shitty thing to say in hindsight, because you know what? He was just trying to make sure he was doing the right thing, and I berated him for it. Which sucks. But if that's what you're going through right now, it's hard not to react that way. I get it. I've been there. I did it. It's a shitty thing to do, especially since my girl's dad is a great guy. But having to let go and say, I have to let them go because he is as much their parent as I am, is difficult. Then if they come home and they're upset and they're crying and talking about what a dick dad is, you know how hard it is not to be like, yeah, I know. Why'd you think I divorced him? Yeah, I think that's frowned upon, though. Don't do that. So as far as your kids go, you have to explain to them that you understand, you validate them, you pick up the pieces, you be very careful not become to become the pushover in your house that, well, they're dealing with so much dad, this is their vacation, because real soon you're going to end up doing everything and they will be disrespectful to you because, well, dad's awful to us, so you have to be everything else. That's not okay either. So with that in mind, you validate them and you tell them, I understand this is hard. But this is your path. This is your father. The universe decided that we are your parents and this is your path for now. And we're going to help you find all the ways you can learn from this. As for yourself, he is your ex. He is the kind that don't live there. You give your kids the tools and you take a step back. You protect yourself because here's the deal. Every time your kids come home, if he truly is a narcissist, they will be freaked out 
and pissed off and sad and a whole range of emotions that you are not going to want to deal with because you're just excited that they're home and you want to play and you want to have fun. And guess what? They're in a shitty mood because they've been visiting a narcissist. And you know what that's like because you were raised by one too. Use that. Let that be the way that you help guide them because you've been through it. And look how fucking awesome you came out. Now, you might have gone and married a narcissist, but you were smart enough to leave him. So let's just hope that you can instill in them what you've learned from it so they don't follow the same path. But you have to protect yourself. People think that being assertive and setting boundaries is mean. They don't want to say no, because that makes them mean. I set boundaries all the time. People say, Mandy, are you mad? Well, no. Why do you think that? Well, you said no. Well, there's only two answers, yes or no. You had a 50-50 shot that I was going to say no. What do you mean am I mad? Just because I say, here's my line in the sand. This is stuff I'll do. This is stuff I won't. I will not be partaking in that. It does not mean that I'm mad. I'm simply telling you what my reality is or what it will be going forward because it is not obviously yours if you think I'm going to do X, Y, or Z. You put those boundaries in place, preferably in writing, based on the fact that there's probably a legal case involved if there are, in fact, kids, because this is your ex. And then, no matter how hard it is, you stick to it. And it sucks. The number of times I've wanted to rescue my kids so they didn't have to be sad or inconvenienced or so forth because he had to work late again. But at the end of the day, he's just doing what he knows he needs to do. He's got to work. He's got shit to handle. I get it. Does it suck for them? Yes. But sometimes you have to set that boundary. And there's boundaries that I have heard about from clients that I have not encountered. I will be totally honest with you. I hear stuff that I'm like, dude, that's fucked up. Now, of course, you can't say that. That's not good clinical talk or so forth, at least according to all that fancy schooling. But at the end of the day, there are times where people tell me stuff where I'm like, yeah, that's really messed up. But that's still their reality. And unless you can prove abuse and neglect, which is really hard, let them go do it. Let them deal with it because that's their path, just like yours was with your narcissistic mother. For you, you set those boundaries in writing, and I don't care if it is the zombie apocalypse. You do not stray from whatever you put in that email. Because while you want to rescue your children, people do not change until it is their problem. I'll repeat that. People don't change unless it is their problem, which in your case means make it their problem. People talk about finance, especially married couples. They'll be like, you don't understand. If I don't pay his car insurance, he won't pay it. Well, the first time he gets pulled over, fined, has to take classes or whatever else, pay the reinstatement fee because he got a ticket because his insurance flat, he won't do that shit again. But as long as you're going to bail him out, why would he fix it? It is so hard to sit across a desk and tell a parent to let their child fail, to let their spouse fail. It blows. But that's how people learn. If you keep saving them, if you keep enabling them, nothing gets better. They have to figure it out. That means you have to let them take their path and you have to let him fuck it up. Instead of you rescuing them and fielding 500 comments, questions, and concerns about how dad's an asshole, let them ask him, dad, why are you being an asshole? Let him field those conversations. At the point in which you think it is physically or mentally detrimental, and please understand, I am not telling you 
that if that's the case to just let it go and go, well, Mandy said it's your path. If you truly think it is physically or mentally, emotionally, any of the above detrimental, that's a whole nother conversation. That is a which authorities are we going to get involved? What case are we going to file? And so forth. But if you're not there and you're talking about boundaries, I'd say set whatever boundary works for you. You know, I have certain boundaries of there has to be X amount of notice. Do not call me or text me at four o'clock and say, can you get the girls by six? My answer will be no, even if I'm free, because I have to set the boundary that your emergency does not dictate mine. Of course, I'm not a total asshole. If somebody fucking died, I'm going to go get the kids. But that better be the exception and not the rule. The other thing is, I know that if my kids get sick in the middle of the night, I can't reach their dad. He puts his phone on do not disturb while he's asleep because he works long hours and when it's time for sleep, he needs everything turned off. That means if at three o'clock in the morning, one of the girls gets sick, I am on my own. That's okay. That is his boundary. I don't do that because I'm a spaz and I worry too much. So I want to know that he'd be able to reach me. But the truth is he's right. If there's that big of an emergency at three o'clock in the morning, either I'm overreacting and everything can wait till 9 a.m. when the pediatrician opens, or I'm going to go to the ER and he's not a doctor, so he can't help me anyway. Just like when the girls go to their grandparents' acreage in Tennessee with his family, people are like, oh, you let them run around and ride ATVs and do all those things? Well, yeah. What if they get hurt? Well, I'm not a doctor. If they fall off the ATV, it's not like I'm going to be able to effectively set their limb anyway, so I'm hoping that the five adults that are hanging around would know to take them to the damn hospital. It's the same thing here. You set those boundaries within reason, and as long as we're not talking about something that's abuse and neglect, you don't stray from them. You eliminate your mom, because if she is truly a narcissist, and only you know that, that is something that is managed, not cured. Your gray rock is fantastic. Not entertaining is always the way to go. I will flat out say to people, which they don't like, but I will say, I'm really sorry, I'm not entertaining this. And I walk away. And sometimes that makes people irate. I'm not being dismissive. It's just that I don't play into that because it's not good for either one of us. And even though they're mad at me, I'm not being controlling or bitchy. It's because I know that's not good for them either. So I say pull your card. Get the hell out of the situation. If you have to intervene due to their welfare, and I do truly mean welfare, then do so. Otherwise. Your mom has to figure this out. You married someone similar to her because of her, not that she made you, but due to that influence, you statistically made that decision, but you had the wherewithal to remove yourself from it. And I would argue that other than what you are contractually and court ordered to do, anything above and beyond that is time and energy you give to your kids. And time and energy you give to the people that you have not decided to cut out of your life because they are appropriate and they do not damage your spirit. I know what I'm telling you is not easy. Take some time, mull it over, rail against what I have to say, scream into a pillow, whatever you've got to do. You can even write back and tell me what an asshole I am. Or you can write back and say, okay, this is working, but this isn't. I love follow-up questions because the thing is, nothing can be solved in a five-minute answer to an email. I wouldn't say nothing. There can be gains made, but solving it would be tough. But I'm here for you. Send me a follow-up. Let me know what else I can do for you. And again, I know a lot of that's conjecture. I just don't know a lot of people that talk about their ex in that way unless there's children involved. But if I can do anything, I'm here for you. 
Thanks for writing in. I appreciate you. All right. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. If you have any questions, send them to askmandy at irisepodcast.com. You can also use the web app on our website. Go to irisepodcast.com. Click on the Ask Mandy. Yes, it's two E's. Link at the top of the page. Now, remember, individual therapy sessions are available. Go to the Contact Us link to learn more and set up a consultation. I can go ahead and respond. And remember, I can do anything telephonic. So your location is not a barrier to getting help. Sign up for our newsletter. You can stay updated with all things I Rise. Follow us on Twitter. We are at I Rise Podcast. I'm at Ask Mandy. Tweet at me. Tell me something good. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. You can also leave us a review and feedback on Facebook as well as iTunes. It really does help us to make the show as best it can be for you. Your feedback's incredibly helpful. Tells me what you need, what you're getting, what I can improve on. I'm here to improve and be a better person just like you. Let me know what I can do. iRise is recorded at and produced by Rain Soundworks. Thank goodness, because I don't know what to do besides come up here and provide content and talk to you and tell you how fabulous you are and you get to listen to me. But I don't know how to make any of that get to you if it weren't for them. I'm wishing you a wonderful week. I really appreciate you spending this time with me. I always miss you and I appreciate you. So as we roll in that fantastic little box on the calendar, that December 31st, which at the stroke of midnight becomes January 1st in 2019, try to remember what we talked about today. Because regardless of how many years you've said this in a row, 2019 is going to be your year. So I want you to kick ass in 2019. You got this, and I got you. You deserve to be the sun that rises through your darkest night. To be the phoenix of your light. From ashes to flight, I rise. I rise.